You're listening to Kitchen Table Finance. Join Dave Shotwell and Nick Nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical. Hey, Nick, how are you doing today? Doing great, Dave. How are you? I'm doing well. So it's time for another episode of uh, Kitchen Table Finance. And we've got a guest with us today. I'm excited. A very special guest. Um, Molly is with us. She is an expert in all things estate planning. And Molly, why don't you introduce yourself to the fans? All right. Hi, guys. I am so happy to be here in honor of the spirit of our conversation. I'm actually sitting at my kitchen table today. So I'm really into the spirit <laughs> Taking of this. this literally. One. I am. Love it. I, you know, I did my assignments well as a child. I, you know, I succeeded in school. (laughs) Well, I'm sure no one actually cared about how well I did in uh, elementary school, but I can certainly tell you the relevant details now. I'm an attorney at Beulah Linwood and Harris, and collectively as a firm, we have over a hundred years of experience in the core areas of estate planning and accession and succession planning. We also do probate and trust administration business planning, guardianships and conservatorships, and elder law. I personally am licensed to practice in both Michigan and Wisconsin. And our firm also has two attorneys that are licensed to practice in Florida, which has been really helpful because huh. Michigan has a lot of snowbirds. A lot of snowbirds. Yes. Yeah. 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 I started out my practice in Michigan, working with a lot of small business owners. And I know you guys work with a lot of small business owners too. I kind of got in there because our client base was naturally aging. And so we naturally began working on their succession planning for their businesses and their estate planning for their families. And then when my husband and I settled in Lansing, I moved over to my current firm, Doolittle and Wooden Harris, specifically because they focused on that and planning for individuals for the future. So I'm lucky enough that I get to play a part in this planning process with others. It's my real passion and joy. And I know that you guys get to do that too. You know, I get to work with other professionals like you, Dave and Nick, uh, who also do this work just in a different area. Molly's going to be doing a webinar for us in late April. Today on on the podcast, we're just going to kind of preview that, talk a little bit about, uh, about what Molly does and cover some estate planning basics. Yeah, and one of the reasons why um, we work with people like Molly is, as Dave and I like to say, we know enough about estate planning to be dangerous and tell you when it's the time to go see a professional like Molly. <laughs> right, 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 right. When uh, Nick and I were talking about future uh, webinar topics, uh, we decided a good barometer was if when a client asks us a question, we go, oh, shoot, I'm going to have to ask someone. Then, then it's probably a good webinar topic. And, you know, estate planning, we all have a kind of a general understanding, but it is an expertise for sure. So um, maybe to kick things off, uh, Molly, what, when we talk, when we say estate planning, what do we mean by estate planning? I think that estate planning is excellent and it's something that we maybe unconsciously do on our own already, but it's really that process of sitting down and taking a holistic look at someone's assets and someone's desires about what they want to happen to their property. And I would say it works both during your lifetime and after someone passes away. The documents that we legally draw up after that conversation that we have with clients, that's what's considered someone's estate planning documents. 
really my goal and your goal, and I hopefully the goal of all planning professionals is to make sure that the client's wishes are heard and respected after their death and that the gifts that they want to have made are actually made. Therefore, it's really a collective execution of both a person's wishes during their lifetime and at death. And that's what we really try and grapple with is let's talk about long-term solutions for someone. I always joke, and this is maybe not a very good joke because I don't think anyone's ever laughed at it, but that drafting a will or a trust is a gift that you leave your family because it organizes your wishes so that they know it. I mean, what does it matter to Mm -hmm. you? You're dead. You don't get the benefit of these documents. (laughs) But these documents give you control after your death. And I can tell you that family members really appreciate having a roadmap. That's a great point. And um, one of the things that I noticed that you didn't add in your definition of estate planning is how to make sure your millions and millions of dollars are given away properly. So can you talk a little bit about how, you know, is estate planning for people who only have millions and millions of dollars or does everybody need an estate plan? I think everyone needs an estate plan. And I will tell you that I think it's a good idea, even for people who are just 18, you know, people who don't have someone who's legally entitled to make decisions for them in the event that something bad happens. That's the person that we need to reach. I mean, you really do need to have I think that everyone should have one, especially if there are kids involved or, you know, we have all sorts of special circumstances that we can get into. But, you know, if this is a second marriage, if you have biological children and non-biological children, really anyone can take advantage of having their wishes known. Families really appreciate it, whether you have $30,000 or you have $300,000. Obviously, the documents that we prepare start to get a little bit more complicated if we're talking about uh, $300,000 versus $30,000. And that's also the case if we get to, you know, $30 million versus $300,000. It's just, it's a conversation that starts the same way. And, you know, we just kind of work on what the needs of the particular client are. So when we talk about the the basics and maybe starting with that, uh, you know, that younger, that younger person, what are the, what are the, what are we actually talking about here? What do we need? At its core, we have two types of documents. Estate planning documents involve some that can be used during your lifetime. Those are your healthcare power of attorney, your financial power of attorney. Mm-hmm. And then there are documents that happen and direct what happens to you and your assets after you pass away. Those are a designation of funeral representative. And at its most basic, a a will and a trust. These are documents Mm -hmm. I think that most people will have heard of. I don't know how familiar they are with the inner workings, but these are really the core documents that we're talking about. Um, Also, one thing that I don't think a lot of people really recognize as estate planning documents, but they definitely are, their beneficiary designations, you know, mm-hmm. the documents that they put together when they're working with you as they figure out their financial right. assets and accounts, because those are transfer on death designations. And so that's something that is dealing with a person's finances after they pass away. Those are estate planning documents. From the, uh, I, I guess in some ways, we're where the rubber meets the road. You know, the attorney creates the estate plan. The client has the estate plan, but we're the ones that kind of have to say, okay, yes, and your accounts are set up. 
to reflect what you discussed with your attorney. Or quite often when we meet with new folks, um, you know, they're showing us estate planning documents and instructions from their attorney, and we're looking at beneficiary designations and account titling and going, well, wait a minute, <laughs> that's, that's not what you've got here. <laughs> so, you know, and, and actually I, I would say that's like eight times out of 10, it's not set up correctly. Yeah. And I think that's really important. And one of the things that I like to do is I do like to work holistically with people who are involved in other people's planning. So, you know, if I hear from a client that they have a financial planner that they work with, or they have a CPA that they work with, or even a trusted insurance agent, those are people that are sometimes really critical to bring into the conversations because we want to make sure that these wishes are actually executed. So if you have documents right. that are saying something that's completely unrelated to the plan that we've just created, well, I can't do anything about that, but you know who can? Your financial advisors and all of those people who work with those financial institutions. I guess maybe uh, an overview of what happens as as you... Uh... <laughs> When you pass away, like how how does all this how does all this go into effect, and and what what's the actual process look like? Yeah, absolutely. First, we do get a very sad phone call. We get a phone call from a loved one, and they tell us that they have someone very important in their life who's passed away, and you know we need to be really sensitive to that. There are a lot of practical concerns that people in that position need to address, and sometimes that feels a little bit overwhelming. But basically, I'll tell you a very lawyerly answer on what's the process for handling your assets when you die. And that is, it depends. There are different types of assets that a person can have. And these assets are treated differently after someone passes away. So assets like your 401k or your IRA or your life insurance policies, these usually have named beneficiaries. And in that case, uh, you know, those are the people that you put on the paperwork. Uh, you fill that out and say, I want this person to get this asset when I die. Basically, the person who's named as that beneficiary is able to fill out some paperwork with the company, provide, provide them with a death certificate, and then the company will distribute that asset directly to them. You don't have to worry about getting an attorney involved. That's a do-it-yourself kind of thing. There are other assets like your bank accounts or real property that maybe will have a joint owner listed. Usually it's a husband or wife, but it could be a parent or a child or even siblings I've seen as joint owners mm -hmm. on some of these. And if there's a surviving joint owner, the property transfers directly to the survivor once a death certificate is provided either to the bank or the register of deeds office. The assets that are owned by the individuals themselves actually need to go through a process that we call probate. And that is the retitling of something in your individual name to a survivor. And then last but not least, we also have assets that are put into a trust if you have a trust. And those assets get distributed according to the terms of the trust. But Michigan law does have something to say about the process of that. <laughs> and really, when we're talking about when people call my office, uh, after someone's passed away, we're talking about assets that are either held in trust 
or held in probate. You know, mm-hmm. those assets that go directly to beneficiaries, that's very much something that people are able to handle without the intervention of an attorney. You said the the probate word, Molly. Can we can we touch a little bit on that? Because there's a lot of misconceptions out yeah. there. We get clients that say, oh, probate, that's where the lawyers and the government takes all my money. I don't want that. Right, right. Oh, yeah, the, can, the big bad probate. Yeah. And, you know, I... I really do feel and empathize with people who feel that way because the last thing that you want when you are dealing with an emotional situation is to have to go through a long process through the court or maybe have some privacy concerns. You don't want everything being disclosed to your neighbors and have it all public record. And I totally get that. But there are sometimes where it's necessary and it isn't as frightening as I think people make it out to be. But I will tell you, it is a lot of paperwork. I don't want to lie. I don't want to sugarcoat it. There's a lot of paperwork involved and that's okay. It's all meant to kind of help get through the process, which is sometimes where we get involved so that we can handle that paperwork for people. Basically, this idea of probate is when the court gets involved to help that retitling process occur. So if someone has their own name on an asset and there's nothing that automatically transfers it somewhere else, we need to have the court help us transfer it somewhere else. If a person dies without a will, that is called an intestate estate. So that is a fancy word that basically means you just didn't have an estate plan in place. If a person dies with a will in place, their estate is a testate estate and everything will get distributed according to the terms of their will. It just passes through the court first. Basically, if you have a loved one who passes away, you have to file with the court paperwork identifying the person who passed away, who their legal heirs are, and who are designated as the beneficiaries in their will. And you'll also have to work to identify those assets that need to pass through the probate process. And then there will be a small inventory fee to the court, but it's nothing as astronomical as people usually expect in their minds when they're talking about this, not wanting the government to be involved in taking their money. Once we get all the paperwork into the court, we'll be able to have a personal representative appointed. A personal representative, you may also know them as an executor of a will. In Michigan, we use the term personal representative, but you know, it's really flexible either way. And then we just really work through ushering those assets and getting them to the person who's entitled to them. At the end of the day, it's a lot of paperwork, but it does effectuate the goals that the client asked for in the first place. There's there's a lot of client trepidation and confusion around the probate process. And there's also a lot of client confusion. I think these are related around trusts and who needs one and who doesn't. You will get comments like, well, I don't have enough money to have a trust or I, you know, or like a lot of false conceptions over when a trust is appropriate, when it's not appropriate. And I'm sure, you know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, shades of gray in there too, but um, could you maybe talk a little bit about, about that? Yeah, absolutely. Do you mind me using you guys as examples today? Not at all. All right. So let's start with Nick. Now, Nick, I'm asking you this question simply because I know the answer already. (laughs) Do you have children? I do have children, two of them. And are they minors? They are 16 and nine. All right. 
And I know you don't plan on dying anytime soon, but do you have a plan in place for what would happen if you did pass away suddenly? Uh, We do, yes. Good. I'm glad to hear it. And now when I hear the words minor children, that sets off an alarm bell for me where, hey, maybe a trust would be a good idea. And Nick, the reason why a trust, I think, is a good idea for minor kids is because you are in a situation where you don't necessarily want those kids to get the money right after they pass away. And in in fact, after, I'm sorry, not after they pass away, dear goodness, I'm not going to kill off your kids in this hypothetical. (laughs) Let's talk about killing off Nick instead. (laughs) Stick with that. Exactly. So Nick, if you passed away and you left some money to your children, let, you know, we really want to make sure that they don't have to worry about what would happen with that money. And if you passed away without having a trust, we would need to get someone called a conservator appointed. And that is someone that the court appoints for the benefit of your children, just to make sure that their assets are handled appropriately, since legally they're not allowed to own that property. And so if you have a trust, you get to avoid having that process because your trustee that you nominate is able to hold that money for your kids instead. So when I hear minor children, that's a great indicator that maybe a trust is appropriate. Another thing that you might hear is appropriate is if there are some troubled relatives, you want to give some money to people, but A, maybe they're just not good at money. You don't really like the way that they spend Mm -hmm. their money. You know, you think that if you leave them $100,000, they're going to go buy a Ferrari and maybe won't use it for retirement like you're hoping they will. Or maybe you have some addiction issues or there are situations where someone has a lot of creditors and you don't want your money being distributed just to turn around and pay those bills off. If that's the case, I think a trust is great because it gives you that long-term ability to hold assets which is really its biggest difference from a will because a will will distribute uh, money right away. But a trust, we can have those assets be held in trust for as long as you desire. And it's also something that's really helpful if you are very concerned about that probate process. And if you do not want to go through that and you do not want to have the court involved, a trust is a way to avoid that so long as it's properly funded. I'm going to tell you that when I say properly funded, I like to think of a trust as a vase and all of your assets that you put into the trust are flowers. (laughs) I can make the vase. However, if you just put it on a shelf and you leave it alone, it's pretty, but it's not doing its job. It's not actually functioning the way it's supposed to. So we really need to make sure that we get the flowers into that vase so it's actually functioning. And, you know, that's one of the things that we like to do, because if you don't, we end up having to go through that probate process just to get those flowers into that vase. Yes. And and that's what I was alluding to uh, when I was talking about uh, the client's uh, legal work not matching the way the accounts are set up, is that they hadn't actually put into action any of the instructions from the attorney to uh, put their accounts in the name of the trust. Or, or quite common, um, they did that all right after doing the trust, but then they yeah. opened another account six months later to do something else and just put it in their own name or, you know, it's pretty, pretty common as things evolve. Yeah. 
I know you guys are really the front line of defense for making sure that uh, trusts stay funded. As attorneys, we really do rely a lot on financial planners. You have that relationship. You are the ones that are going to continue to see the client regularly, whereas we maybe will get a pop in every three to five years when a new grandkid's born. Mm -hmm. So that's really important. And I'm glad that you guys do take the time to take a look at that. Yeah, if if there's one thing I know, Molly that uh, an empty vase around here is not a good thing. My wife will not be happy. So that's my one estate plan tip of knowledge. Yeah. No empty vases. No empty I vases. like that. Happy wife, happy life. That's, that's the, right. The phrase is repeated because it's true. It's, it is true. It is true. It is true. What about some other trust scenarios like around non-traditional families, maybe or charitable giving? Yes, I am so glad that you asked this question. This is another great time where I hear an alarm bell go off and say, hey, let's talk about this. This might be something that's for you. There are a lot of special concerns for people who have non-traditional family structures. And I am so happy to incorporate any family structure into our plan. And, you know, the way that you make your family is lovely. And let's just take care of them. Mm -hmm. Um, If there's a situation where we have a long-term romantic partner, but uh, they're not married and there's no marriage planned, which is completely okay, and we see a lot of that now, Michigan law is not designated to protect that type of relationship. If you don't have an estate plan, you get the Michigan estate plan. And, you know, maybe that's not one that fits you and your family's needs. It's really oriented around biological children and spouses. So, you know, especially with spouse getting the first priority at estate assets, that's maybe not what you want. You maybe want a long-term partner who is able to get involved in that case. Or you might want to have uh, children who are not your biological children be able to receive some distributions. I know a lot of step-parents feel very strongly that that they want their stepchildren included in getting distributions. And including those children is great, but we can't do it without an estate plan. So that's something that I hear right away. One of the things that I also hear is if someone's been married more than once, and especially if they have children from a prior marriage, The reason why that is important is because the law is really designated to favor a spouse when someone passes away and transfer those assets. And it's a little bit antiquated of a notion, but that's where our laws are. And so there are a lot of times where I see kids get completely shut out of a distribution. The spouse gets everything and they know that mom or dad really did not want that to happen to them. Mm -hmm. And it can cause a lot of strain on those relationships. And if you want to see your family stay together after you pass away, giving them a plan that they can follow is going to be very helpful because they'll see what your true intentions were. And then last, I really want, I love this idea, but I'm not in love with the term. Have you guys heard of gray divorce before? Yes. No, I have not. All right. So gray divorce is this phenomena where couples who have been married for a long time go through a divorce. And, you know, I I love the concept, hate the phrase, even though divorce in this United States has been generally trending down the past few decades, divorces are actually on the rise for one subset of people, which is the people over 50. So it's Um, a matter of timing. It is. That's what's changed. 
Anyway. I think so. And I think that a lot of times, you know, divorce is financially motivated. And anecdotally speaking, you know, that's a lot of what estate planning is, is it's planning what you want to happen to your finances. And it's incredibly important for newly divorced people to update both their estate plan and their beneficiary designations. That's the situation where it is an absolute must. That is something where it's important to talk to an attorney. It's important to talk to your financial advisor because you are at a point in your life where things are going to change dramatically. Following these gray divorces is something just so wonderful and I appreciate it so much is a new marriage, a new relationship, finding that second chance or third chance at love. And we again will have an issue of blended families. Having these open and frank conversations about having distribution goals in mind can be really awkward, especially if you're trying to involve a lot of players, you know, biological children, stepchildren. And we have to talk about an uncomfortable uh, scenario of potentially a prenuptial agreement. And, you know, I really encourage these people to have conversations like this, you know, especially with a professional who can gently push them through some of this with a little bit more finesse and guidance. Even if the question, the answer to the question is, I have to think about it or I don't know, at least we're moving the conversation forward and we're bringing Mm -hmm. some of those concerns to the forefront so that hopefully there might be an answer down the line. Communication really would be the key, but then at the same time, that conversation hits on all the things we hate to talk about. Death, love, family, you know, Mm -hmm. um, money. It's almost all the taboos. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) We, we, We hit them all at once and all the emotions and, uh, so, yeah, but that's really, that's really the important part is to talk about it and get it down, get it out. Yeah. And now, Dave, I think another thing that you had mentioned in that question is also charitable giving. And yes. I have to say, I love that conversation. I love that topic. That is something that is near and dear to my heart. Charitable donations and giving back to the community is something that I love to do both on my own and with clients. I think it's so lovely. Now, I know that you guys have already done a podcast on this subject. So if I want to talk to someone about it and they have some questions first, listen to your podcast, follow up with that. And then I think that I like to facilitate these conversations, especially with financial advisors. And the reason why is because you guys have normally been working with a client longer than I have. And we're going to be able to talk about specific goals, areas of interest. What do you want to give money to? How and why? And you guys will be able to provide unique insight as to, you know, what assets look like, because sometimes there are strategic and tax advantages that we want to talk about. But those are things that we really should have with a professional who deals with finances in the room. So that is really a group conversation. And it's one that I love to have. Great. Great. And uh, one question that that popped to mind and uh, not one that we had kind of addressed before, but um, one thing I see clients have a lot of angst around is is choosing personal representatives and choosing successor trustees. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if you've got some uh, some wisdom on how people can can make those kind of decisions, I think that'd be a useful thing to talk about. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a really important consideration as to who is going to be a a good person. And one of the things that I see this in more often, I know that you mentioned trustee and personal representatives. I see a lot in the power of attorney sphere. And we haven't talked about those yet. But just to give you a broad overview, your power of attorney documents, there are usually two. There's one that deals with your healthcare and one that deals with your finances. And these are documents where people make decisions for you while you're alive, but are unable to make decisions for yourself. And I'm going to say that these matter particularly the most, because again, we give a gift to family members when we create a will or a trust. You give a gift to yourself when you Mm -hmm. create those power of attorney documents. Those are going to be the only ones that you actually use during your lifetime. So getting an agent who is the right fit for you is incredibly important. There are a lot of factors to consider. One factor that is absolutely paramount in every decision is going to be trust. How much do you trust the person that you are going to be uh, appointing? If you wouldn't trust them to manage your finances in your best interest right now while you're breathing and you are able to make decisions, they're not going to be a good candidate for (laughs) after you pass away or after you are incapacitated and can't make decisions. I use this word incapacitated, and I really should dial back a bit. Incapacitated is a legal term, and I don't want people to get too wrapped up in it. But what it does mean is just that you are unable to make decisions for yourself. It could be because that you are unconscious. It could be because that you have dementia and don't necessarily know what's going on. Or it could be that you are not in a state where you are making reasonable and rash decisions, like in a case of mental illness, that also can be included in there. Mm -hmm. So when I say incapacitated, it just means that you're not in a state to make good decisions for yourself. So if that's the case, you're really looking for trust. You're also looking for who's going to be available, who is going to be around to make those decisions. You don't necessarily have to choose someone local, but I like the idea of having someone local because they can be there with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another thing to take into consideration is would they be good at that? You know, especially when we're talking about healthcare decisions. And if you say in your healthcare power of attorney that you do not want to receive continuing life sustaining treatment. If you are brain dead and there's no reasonable expectation of your recovery, don't choose your daughter who's not going to be able to have the fortitude to pull the plug. Right, right. You know, I, I just want to say, I really think that having someone who you know is going to be able to follow through with your wishes and not inflict their own desires on a situation That's really important. And it's something that we like to see. So consideration for that is important too. Another idea, and this is something that often gets overlooked, is this is a lot of work. Asking Hmm. someone to administer. Yeah, exactly. Asking someone to administer an estate is going to interrupt someone's life. And it is, I'm asking a lot of work. I'm asking them to come up and, you know, sort through things. I'm asking them to give me information about financial documents. And if they don't have the information, they're going to need to get it from financial institutions. So this is a job. And sometimes what I like to say in situations where it's maybe a complicated family situation or there are long-term trusts that are going to be distributed, or it's just something that you don't think anyone's going to particularly want to do. 
sometimes a third party, party trustee is a great idea. And a third party trustee is someone who does it professionally for a living. There are CPAs that can do this. There are attorneys that can do this. And there are also institutions like banks that have entire divisions uh, that are willing to be able to do this for you after you pass away. And so sometimes just having that conversation of, you know, this is something that I don't want to burden my children with is okay. And you can say, let's go with a third party. And that's always a good consideration. Definitely better to have a third party than no party, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> because if you don't have anyone, and actually, Nick, I would love to talk about this for a second. But if you don't have anyone, especially in these power of attorney documents, the court is going to appoint someone for you. And it might not be the person that you choose, which is really important. These healthcare financial and financial power of attorney documents really make it so that the person that you want to make these decisions are actually making them during your life. If you don't have something and there's a problem, the court is going to have to get involved. Now, this pandemic has been instrumental in showing a lot of people why this is necessary. I mean, have you guys been personally affected? Do you know anyone who has had coronavirus at all? Yeah. I mean, there are, I know quite a few people who have had coronavirus and, you know, I hear from lots of people who have been hospitalized. And when you are hospitalized and you don't have a power of attorney document, guess what? The hospital is making a call to the court and says, what do I do? I need direction on how to treat this patient. And there are just a ton of emergency scenarios. It was almost like the hospitals had a direct connection to the court and were just constantly throwing in, I need someone to make a decision for this person. You know, you don't want to be in that line. You know, you want some, you want to be able to have a decision made and by the person that you entrust to make those decisions. And the same goes through finances. What's going to happen? Let's say that you're on a ventilator or even let's say that you're not incapacitated, but you're just unavailable. Uh, there are a ton of people who are stuck in quarantine in assisted living facilities and nursing homes. None of those people necessarily were unable to make decisions themselves, but they couldn't get out and about to go do their regular banking. And, you know, if you rely on going to the post office to pay your bills, it's going to be really difficult to make sure that those bills continue to get paid if you are stuck somewhere. So making sure that someone else has the ability to make those decisions, it's critical. So especially here, if you don't make a decision, the court's going to make one for you and you aren't necessarily going to like it. And you aren't <laughs> going to like that people are spending your money to go to court to fight over this. Make the because decision. It, yeah. Yep. Because yeah. the person who gets the benefit is the one who ends up paying. It comes out of their money. Can we can we talk real quick about updating your um, documents? I know that we run into quite a few people. And I know that if you, you know, for example, we have people that'll come in that haven't updated their trust for 30 years, are <laughs> now divorced, and one of their beneficiaries isn't around anymore. Um, so I know that that's one that should be updated, but (laughs) on like a regular basis, if I have an estate plan put together, how often should I be checking in to make sure that the laws haven't changed? I mean, obviously if you have a beneficiary change, that makes more sense intuitively. I really do recommend that people take a look at their estate planning documents. Well, if you haven't in a while, now is the time. Take this Mm. podcast, pause right here, go dust off the binder you go somewhere. (laughs) 
and look. But also, I think it's something that you want to do maybe every two years or so, just to make sure that your lifestyle and that, you know, family has not changed. Everything Mm -hmm. is the exact way that you want it to be. That's important. If there is a birth or a death in the family, that's always a great indicator that it might be time to take a look. The other situation I would say is that even if everything looks good to you from your family standpoint, come and talk to an attorney about every three to five years. You don't even necessarily need to get it updated. Just have a quick call and say, hey, has anything in the law changed? Is there anything that I need to be aware of? And, you know, we're going to be able to tell you pretty quickly if that answer is yes or no. One of the things that is relatively recent and people still haven't updated this is Michigan now allows people to create something called a funeral designation representative. And that's something that you can now uh, direct who gets to make decisions for you about your funeral arrangements. And that ability didn't exist a few years ago. And so that's something new that you maybe want to consider. We also see a lot of people who have uh, older trusts where they have two separate trusts and they are a couple. And that doesn't really mesh well with the notion of, you know, what's mine is yours that people usually have in a couple. Because the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2018 jumped the amount of exclusion for uh, estate tax so high, we're now at $11.7 million per person in estate tax exemption. And so I'm going to tell you, I don't have $11.7 million and most of my clients don't have $11.7 million either. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So the need to have two separate trusts has really gone down, especially with this idea of portability, Portability. which is a very fancy term that the IRS uses to basically say that I didn't use my $11.7 million when I died. So my husband's that goes right over to him. And so let's say he hits the lottery. He can use my $11.7 million on top of his $11.7 million exemption and not have to pay estate taxes. So with those changes to the law, we're able to have a lot more flexibility and a lot more simplicity in our documents. So we can get rid of some of those more complicated things for people. And, you know, There's been a lot of talk recently, and I won't get too much into the speculation, that there is going to be a change to, you know, estate tax uh, exemption amounts again with this new administration as to when or what that would be. I'm not going to speculate or say, (laughs) but, you know, that's always a good thing to think about is just if you hear something like that, that's a great indicator that it might be time to check in with an attorney. Good point. Yeah. Good point. That's very helpful. Thank you. So Yeah, so hopefully I'm not making you guys doubt your existing estate plans. <laughs> no, no, no. Um so we're uh we're looking forward to having you on as our guest here on a webinar at the end of April, April 26th, I believe. Mhm. Yeah. And uh you can go into more depth on these topics and uh hopefully we'll uh we'll get uh get some more information out there for clients and prospects. I'm, yes. I'm incredibly excited about that. Cool. I can't wait to talk to you and your clients about, you know, what this necessarily might mean for them. It's also an opportunity. If you have any specific questions or concerns, you know, between now and then, if you hear anything, I'm happy to address those. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely. If uh, if you're listening to this, uh, go ahead and uh, send your questions. You can send them to info at srbadvisors.com and we'll get them to Molly. 
Absolutely. Or feel free to join us on our webinar April 21st at 4 p.m. And um, you can ask your questions there as well. We will be getting those invites out shortly and you can certainly find more information on our website. Thank you for checking the date for me, Nick. Uh, <laughs> had to do something today. Had to do something today. <laughs> as soon as Coming I said it, it sounded day. wrong. Yeah. So the 21st, not the 26th. I apologize. So uh, thank you, Molly. Thank you, Nick. And yeah, this uh, was great. Thanks, Molly. Yeah. Yeah, appreciate it's been a pleasure, guys. I appreciate your time today. Gather round and follow the Kitchen Table Finance podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.